Welcome to A Page in History. Join us on a fascinating journey as we delve into the memories of the world-famous NBC Pages. Get ready to hear first-hand accounts of their unforgettable experiences as they navigated the hallways of Burbank, California and the iconic 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Prepare to hear fascinating stories that were never meant to reach the ears of the general public. And now, your host for A Page in History, David Harris Katz. Get ready for some star-studded stories through television history with my next guest. Before David Hasselhoff had Kit, my next guest had the opportunity to step in for the role for a brief moment. He also duplicated that task for Michael J. Fox and Harry Anderson. And what do classic cars have to do with the Golden Girls? You'll find out. And Johnny Carson was the real king of late night. You'll hear what he was really like, plus what it was like to work on The Tonight Show and see live and in-person guests such as Sir Paul McCartney, John Travolta, Lucille Ball, Farrah Fawcett, Cindy Lauper, and more. Plus, he's written over a dozen wonderful books that cover the world of classic television, including the TV series Bewitched, Mary Tyler Moore, The Six Million Dollar Man, Bionic Woman, the original 007 Sean Connery, and many more. He also went on to work for some powerhouse media companies, including Sony, Warner Brothers, Bravo, TLC, A&E, CNN, and many more. Ladies and gentlemen, I am thrilled to introduce my next guest, Mr. Herbie J. Pilato. Hi, dude. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ooh, thank you so much for coming to the show. We appreciate it. How's it going? Oh, it's great. It's so cool to be here. So cool to talk about my most favorite job job ever. Isn't that weird? It's the weirdest thing. And, you know, I, uh, in 30 years of doing, working in, in, in other television media places, but being a page was the best experience in my life. I don't understand it. Could you, is there a reason why it's so cool? Like what, what, what's your feeling as to why it was the coolest job on earth? Well, first of all, I remember when I wanted to, I had long wanted to be a page and everyone was like, yeah, you can't do it. Why don't you go, you know, work for CBS or ABC. I says, no, no, I don't want to be a CBS page. I don't want to be an ABC page. I want to be an NBC page because I had heard for the longest time that it was the internship to get, that it was the place to be if you wanted to get into the industry because the NBC page program was special. It was different. They were, you know, they knew their stuff. They were rigid. They had structure. All of those things appealed to me. Right. And it's funny because the, the, um, you know, it's like, oh, the ABC had some pages or CBS. I, I believe they did, right? They they do have some kind of program, but yeah. but nothing is as leg literally legendary as the NBC pages. There are so many folks, uh, it's giving me chills just talking about it. There's so many folks that went on to become major stars. You know, there's there's many, many celebrities that were pages, um, but so many folks, and then even behind the scenes folks, but being at 30 Rock, and now actually, were you in 30 Rock or Burbank? No, I was in I Burbank. Guess, in Burbank, right. Okay. Um, uh, and it's funny, I was in Burbank, and I took a brief tour when I saw Johnny Carson, which I want to hear some of your stories. And again, 
you know, growing up with Johnny Carson, my dad watched Johnny Carson. So, you know, going into the studio and, and experiencing that was, I mean, it literally is like an out of body experience, but, um, but yeah, being in the two locations, being part of the NBC page, seeing, uh, and especially where you were, you had, um, they shot other shows on the lot. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Wheel of Fortune, uh, Sanford and Son for a while, certainly in the 70s. That wasn't my era. I, I arrived in May of 84. So that was like the era of the uh, the end, really, of a, a lot of four NBC shows, but the beginning of so many different ones uh, that became legendary. But Johnny Carson, that was it. Right. You know, I was fortunate enough to work that show, gosh, on at least three times a week. Oh, you know, really? where I was the OIC page, right? The outside page in charge or whatever. Oh, is that what they, that's what they call it? The O, what is it? OIC? OIC or I believe. Oh, that's, that's funny. So you, were you, because when I worked, when I worked Saturday Night Live, I was, they called it the key page. So I was in charge of the eighth floor and everything that happened on the eighth floor, which is going into the studio and all the, and all the. Well, that makes sense. Key page. That, right. that makes sense. Right. The other way, I don't so is that what you is that what you did that people had to sort of report to you to check in? Yeah, I mean we took turns, but I it was a big deal to get that position. If you right. got to the point of being an OIC, right. then you know that was a big deal. So right. I I did, but I was working, and I'd also warm up the audience, you know, beforehand. Oh, really? So in the waiting room, I would sing to them. Really, it was it was crazy. I mean, so they didn't have. I know they have uh, stand up uh comedians and people to warm up the shows so when you were there they actually had the page to it i don't well i did it or, or you just oh you just did it you were just you i just... kind of like took control of the situation well we'd usually talk you right. know the pages would talk to the audience and right. we would be the pre-warm-up people before they got in the studio and ed mcmahon would really warm up the audience right um right. but i thought you know what i'm gonna do something different and so I would sing and I would yeah. get involved. I'd sing, uh, Mama Raise Me to Be a Man. It was like something by Neil Sedaka, one of his obscure uh, hits from his early album. And I would, all, I would sing Always and Forever, Always and Forever. And <laughs> it was just a great, great right. thing. And one day the LA Times was doing a story on pages oh. and they were looking for an angle. Oh. So they saw this short little Italian guy singing to the audience and they had their angle. So wow. wow. It's so cool. funny. And it's funny. You, you, you remind me of something, you know, you know, um, even for Saturday Night Live, when the, when the uh, uh, general public, they would sleep, you know, outside Friday night on the sidewalk or they'd be outside on the sidewalk and they'd sleep overnight to get uh, standby tickets on Saturday morning. And I'm I, and like, I'm, probably very similar to you and i know many pages were similar but many you know some of them didn't really care per se but i remember like friday night at you know i'd work till seven eight o'clock sometimes I'd work till midnight or i'd stay there all night but i would go outside and see the people on the on the sidewalk and i just would love i like i love the job where i would literally just walk over to them how's it going what's going on you know you know just just sort of make conversation with them they they have tons of questions you know we're going to get in you know and i explain the whole process to them so it 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 sounds like um you know we're, we're sort of cut from the same cloth in the sense that you know we love that job and being in that spot was 
I mean, it's it's almost like if you couldn't enjoy every second of it, then you almost shouldn't have been there. That's you know? right. Right. That's right. And right. and I did, and many of my friends, fellow pages, did. It was like a, a different level of energy right. for that eighteen months. You had eighteen months either move up or move out. Right. You know, right. and and I actually was extended for six months, which I couldn't believe because everybody oh, wow. thought I was cocky. Go figure. <laughs> but you, you got, I don't say you got to be, but you got to be out there, you know. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, what that was the whole goal, you right. know, but yeah, they had to, everybody had to a little temper me a little bit. So Herbie, just bring it down a notch, bring it down a notch. But then after the article came out where I was in the LA times and I was really one of the only positive voices in the article the next day, Oh, Herbie, you've changed. I'm like, really? Wow. <laughs> I'm still the nice guy I always was. So maybe your perception of me has changed. Right. But it was just overall, it was just really, truly the best job, job again, that I've ever had. Right. Do you remember um, the first time, I guess, either you went into Johnny's studio or just when you had free reign of the whole, because there's a page where people don't understand. We, and again, this is sort of an homage to uh, Fly on the Wall with Dana Carvey and David Spade, which I work with them. So, we, you know, the pages really were the fly on the wall because I, because the pages were watching the talent and watching Dana Carvey and David Spade, you know, do their thing. Um, so I remember the first time we went to 30 Rock, I, a friend of mine, Brian Grossman, which we'll hopefully have on the show, you know, we sat in that SNL studio and we just, we were like, could you believe that we're sitting in the SNL studio by ourselves? You know, so people don't realize that the pages really could go anywhere and do anything they want. So is there a moment where you were like, let me walk around, let me go, like, like, did you do any of those crazy things? Which Absolutely. sounds like you probably have. Absolutely, I mean, it, you were you kind of alluded to it before. There was a moment where, you know, I'm back in Rochester, New York, I'm from Rochester, mm -hmm. upstate, and I remember watching Johnny Carson, right? So we all watched Johnny Carson in the 70s, whatever. So then I get to the studio as a tour. I take a tour as a person, right. you know, as a, as a member of the public. And then we went to the studio, right? And we see the star because Johnny used to stand on the star and right. the multicolored curtain. Those were all big things. Right. So then about a year later, I'm working the show. So I went from watching it to taking the tour and then to work the show. And sure enough, there were more than a few moments where I would go on my break to the set, Studio One, where Johnny did the show, when it was, you know, nobody was a close or a locked up set. Nobody was there. It was dark. Right. And I'd go stand on that star right. that he would stand on, and I would do a little dance and think maybe one day, since I've come this far, maybe one day I'll actually be on The Tonight Show. That never happened, at least not with Johnny. But I dreamed about it a lot. And those dreams are so real that I, I would really experience Johnny and Ed. But up until those other three points, watching the show at home, taking the tour, and then being a page, and then standing on the star, those are all real. And it's funny. And again, you just, just, you're literally giving me chills because I remember doing the exact same thing. And it's wow. funny, Letterman in New York, um, one of the funny things was his studio was very, very cold like freezing 
And if you look at his star on the floor, right above his head was the vent for the mm -hmm. air conditioning. So he would lower it to like <laughs> almost freezing. I mean, I think it probably was as close to freezing as he could get. So when he was doing the monologue, he'd have this cold air pumping down on his head just to mm. keep him, you know, like like fresh and I guess from sweating or whatever it was. But when we would take the tours in there, it was so cold. And that was like a big joke that Letterman and and, if, and like Letterman's guess, if you you know watch the show, they're always they were always saying how cold the studio was. But, yeah, he had that star. And I would go out there and, you know, stay. I mean, it well, was, let, no, let me interrupt yeah, you. If I may yeah. say, say what you just said, that it was so cold. Save it again. It was it so was... cold. <laughs> How cold was it? <laughs> well, you know, you can. Because uh, that's what Johnny would do. All, that was right. the whole thing, right? Okay. Wow. It's so funny. Uh, even, and I remember uh, even Johnny would always talk about the commissary. He always used the word commissary. He didn't say lunchroom, break room, no. whatever commissary. And I remember again at 30 Rock, we didn't, I don't even think, I don't know if we called it the commissary, but I, but it was just even going to the, you know, cause I think when I was in LA, when I went to the, to NBC and I, maybe I was visiting someone there, but we went into the commissary and it, it sounds so silly, but it's like going into the commissary. This is like a legendary place, even though it's just the lunchroom, you know, the cafeteria, but Johnny would talk about it all the time, you know, so <laughs> those crazy things. Wow. So, oh, so yeah, that was that was another experience walking into that commissary for the first time to have my first lunch. I'm like in the commissary. The right. That was just a big thing. <laughs> and every, you'd be standing next to, you know, stars, whoever, David Hasselhoff, you know, in line for coffee because right. everybody would go to that commissary. Right. It was an equal opportunity lunch room. Right. You know, and yeah. So I remember towards the end of my pagedom, because, you know, again, the 18 months were, were over, or initially, and um, they, I went to the, I was depressed, I was down, I was like my last day or something, last two days anyway, and all of a sudden I got this page, this Herbie Pilato, it was like throughout the studio, Herbie J. Pilato, please come to the page office. It was somehow, some way, one of the pages that was supposed to do it got sick and I did stump the band. Wow. And that's where you get to stay, you know, stand next to Johnny Carson. And hand the ticket, hand the uh, little restaurant uh, and, coupon. Exactly. Wow. Hand the prizes over. And usually the pages are supposed to step or to stand on the step above Johnny so that they're not really equal or in the frame. But because I was sure and still am, <laughs> I stood on the other steps so I could get a little bit more camera time or whatever. And I was in every frame. And um, the director, who I talked, I was friends with his son. His son finally said to me, I heard my, my father wanted to know, you know, like who you were. And I was like, wow. why? He goes, because this guy's in every frame. Wow. Did you get a it lot of a, calls? Did people did people call you up the next day, or did did other? Oh yeah, they, no, they were calling during because wow. it and was. Of course, it, we didn't have cell phones back then. No, which thank God, that's another story. But no. but it but is that amazing. Was, that was the that was the best, and it, you know, it really was a wonderful way to go out to do stump the band because that was what everybody wanted to do. Right. And and there I was depressed that I was leaving the network, that the page didn't was over. What was I going to do? And then I get that call. Wow. 
And so how was um, Johnny, you know, just in, you know, uh, when, when they went to commercial break, did he chat it he up? He was with the best. Do anything? He was, he was the best. He was always nice to the pages, mm. he, you know, and he drove himself to work. You yeah, know, that was his, really, yep. his mindset of coming from the Midwest. You know, the people drove themselves to work. He didn't do the limo thing. Of right. course, he drew. He drove in his beautiful Corvette, Corvette and he yeah. <laughs> four days a week for and he an had hour. That spot. I mean, you, if you watch the show, you know, he had that spot right um, right on the end. So he would go right in. So I remember walking past, you know, uh, like even I walked past there and you would see it, you know, just sitting there, which is really funny. Yes. And, and it, was, it wasn't me, but a, a fellow page was actually giving a tour um, on that spot. Talking about, yeah, this is where Johnny stand, or he parks his car. Here's studio. Here's the studio. where, And then there was this horn car beeping, beeping, beeping. You know, come on, could you move on? And she turns around and it was Johnny. Wow. So, he, you know, she was like, wait, just a minute. I'm doing a tour. And it ended up wow. being him. And so But he was laughing. He was right. laughing. It's so amazing. Again, it's it's such a weird thing because, again, we're, you know, we're just regular folks, you know, working in this facility and and even to this day, you know, they 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 didn't really um there were no real rules like, you know, don't don't look the the talent in the face or in the eye. Yeah. You know, there was yeah. nobody really said anything. So the fact that we could just roam around and see Johnny, you know, coming in or um, you know, or talent, you know, going to the commissary was it really is like I said, I we, you know, it's mind blowing. Are there any other, which I, which I, you probably have a zillion, but are, are there any other stars that you happen to bump into um, that, you know, sort of took you by surprise? Um, I think one of the, the greatest experiences I had with a star was um, Michael Gross, who was doing family ties at the time. He played Michael J. Fox's uh, father. And I was the, considered, this, you know, even though the cocky page, I was also considered the sensitive page. So they would give me tours uh, for the visually impaired or um, for, for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And there was this one beautiful little girl who was dying of cancer. And she uh, was given the NBC tour as part of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. It was part of that thing. And so I was selected to give her this personal tour with her parents. And so it happened to be on like a really dead and dark day at, an, at, at the studio. Nothing was, you know, shooting, nothing was taping. There were no shows. And I'm like, what am I going to show this little girl? You know, what is, how is this going to be a special thing for her? Well, shortly, just as that thought is going through my head, I'm going out into the uh, the parking lot actually near the commissary, and I see Joan Collins. Now, I don't know what the heck Joan Collins was doing there that day, because she was working on Dynasty at ABC, and here she was all dolled up in some of her makeup, I believe, with, uh, you know, the, Paper the cape and, around her stuff yeah. and all that. Right. And I'm like, oh, and I'm like, look, there's Joan Collins from Dynasty. And the little girl was so happy. She wow. was so happy. So two minutes later, I'm like, okay, what else is going on? I'm getting good vibes here. Sure enough, Michael Gross comes by and I just look at him, you know, and he's such a sweet guy. All right, first of all, 
But I just look at him and I'm like, you, with my eyes, I'm saying right. to him, please come over, please. Right. So he sees that this little girl is frail and he sees what's, what's going on with my eyes. And he spent about 10 minutes with us. I mean, I might cry as I tell you this story, but he spent 10 minutes and that little girl, she was glowing with this joy on her face. I mean, that was it. There nothing else. He took time to talk to her personally, not just how you doing. My name is Michael. He took time. I'll never forget it. And that was my most poignant. Uh, interaction with a star. Now, of course, that was also interesting because I got the job because I had first gone to a taping of Family Ties oh. like months before. Oh. Let's see. So like in October of 83, I arrived in LA and I got the job in May 84. So I went to a taping of Family Ties and that's when I thought, you know what? This is, I, I want to do this. I saw what the pages were doing. I'm like, I stopped a page. And his name was Harrison. I can't think of his last name. Forgive me. But um, I, I stopped him and I said, I want to do what you are doing. He goes, no, you don't. Yeah. I said, yes, I do. Right. I said, I want that job. And I convinced him there and then to give me a contact to call at the studio. Mm. Eva Hawkins, who is the head of guest relations. I called every two weeks for six months. And usually you really get that job. By knowing somebody, know, knowing somebody, knows somebody. I mean, legitimate relationships. I did not have a relationship with this person. Right. I just stopped him and said, I want to do it. Right. And he believed in me somehow by the gods of the pages. Mm -hmm. And I got to Eva after six months of calling. I got the job. Wow. And I will say, you know, it's funny um, for, for those younger folks that are listening that may want to get into television or, or entertainment. Um, you know, it's funny, you, you started, you, you wanted to, to be a page and you sort of reached out if you had given up the first week when, and not called you, you, you would have made that call. No one would have called you back and that would be the end of it. But, you know, after you called, you know, for six months, what happens is you now almost become, you, you, you now actually become an acquaintance or, or, or known. Well, you, know. you passed the test. Right. Because everything was a test. Right. Right. Even been waiting it out. How is this kid going to respond? Right. I don't even think they really meant to say call back every two weeks. They were right. seeing, saying that just to see if I would, or if I would respond or if I would get upset. Like, what do you mean? I never right. yell or anything like that. I'm like, okay, okay. And I passed those tests. Right. Even Harrison that day, when he said to me, you don't want that job, he explained to me why I wouldn't want that job. Yeah. And, and what, what did he say? Actually, I'm curious. Do you remember? He says it pays nothing. It's a lot of hard work. You don't always get the respect that you deserve. The on and on and on. I said, I don't care. I, it's like I was possessed. Right. I was compelled. And I had before that, actually. I had sent in like the applications in those days, there was no online applying. You would fill out applications. You'd go down to the studio and I had like five or different rejection letters that I have in my book, by the way, I put in my book and we'll talk about in my okay, good. Page yeah, book. Yeah. And even after I got those rejections, I stopped him wow. and I said, I want to do it. So, you know, you gotta be a different type of personality. You know, you have to believe in yourself. 
you know, we're all creative individuals in the industry. You have to take it even to the most highest level you can. And just because it's about the industry is about rejection. Right. And you learn that in just applying for the job of the page. And if you right. couldn't make it as a page, then forget it. You're not going to make it in the industry. Right. Yeah. I want to talk about that a little more because, um, uh, you know, my understanding at the time, they said something like it was harder to become a page than to get into Harvard or something. You know, some there was some crazy thing where, you know, eight zillion people apply for these positions and there's only a very few limited positions. Um, but, you know, what you just said, and again, just are listening that, you know, maybe younger or want to get into this business, and especially now, it's so it really is so difficult to get into anything because pretty much nobody calls you back or anything like that. But even my own experience was I was I was working, you know, as a page, I was an assistant to the talent uh, for for WNBC in New York. And someone had asked to give a tour to a Japanese group that was just visiting the station. And, you know, and again, I was like, I'll do it. You know, I'll, you know, no problem. I'll do it. And I always felt, and this is a good, I always felt that I, and the reason I volunteered was because they're going to pick somebody anyway, but I might as well volunteer for it. So at least they'll, I'll get credit for it. You know, they're like, well, David always volunteers, you know, David, right. So I volunteered, did the tour and, and then literally I got a call from, from the, you know, I got paged, you know, uh, the president of WNBC wants to see you. And this was when I was still a page. So I go up to her office, Judy Gerard, and, um, it's a huge office. She has, it was right out of the movie. She had her feet up on the desk, ginormous, you know, uh, <laughs> office. And she literally said, she quote, she, and I'm going to cry, you know, she said, why are you so good? And I literally said, and it was funny because I said, my dad, I said, my dad, you know, uh, his whole life, you know, hired people that never were, you know, it was always so hard to find good people. So I was like, you know, I got to make my dad proud. So she literally said, um, you know, we're starting a new department in this in at WNBC called Creative Services. We're having some guy come from Oklahoma who's going to run it. She said, I want you to be in that department mm. and wound up going, leaving the page thing. you know, uh, actually at that point I was an assistant to the talent, right? So I le left the page was the, or maybe vice versa, but, but she'd asked me to be in that, um, department, in that department. And then we wound up, you know, I wound up becoming a producer, writer, producer for promotion based on that gig. So again, it's like, you know, what you nailed it. It's like, rejection it's really it's like how many times could you be rejected and not give up if you can't be rejected a thousand times then okay. then then you shouldn't do it and just know that and and it's funny walt disney you know i know um went to the to a bank to get money for disneyland and i think he was rejected 301 times and i always tell the story i said well how many how many times would you try until you give up and some people are like you know five ten twenty he did it 301 times. So, you know, to your point, and obviously, and it's funny just by looking at you, all the things that you've done and 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 the, the the happiness that you exude, you know, that's what it takes. We know there's gonna be rejection. Just don't give up. If that's truly what you want to do, 
then every rejection is just like, okay, great. Now, okay, great. What's the next thing I can do? Exactly. It's part of the job. It's part of the whole essence of the industry is rejection. So it's not like, I mean, and there's, and it's worse today, as you mentioned, you know, there's so much competition, you know, everybody wants, because of the internet, because it's 30 years later and, you know, the entertainment industry is 30 years older. So that means that that much more people have been enjoying movies and TV shows and that much more people on the planet want to be in the industry. It's the way it is. You know, it's becoming the thing. Everybody wants to be a star. Everybody wants to have a movie. Everybody wants to write a book. It's becoming the thing. Right. So just, to, I, just I can't even think what it would be like uh, to come from Oklahoma or whatever and to want to start out in the industry, especially with, you know, how expensive it is to live in L.A. Um, in New York. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I don't know what these kids are doing. I don't know how they're doing it. I don't know. They, that's why they take four or five people in one apartment, I'm assuming. Yeah. And I think also, you know, that they they have to understand that, um, you know, again, they and I don't know what it is, but, you know, they 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 just need to just if they want it to go after it, I think they 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 want it to come very easily. You know, they, they, they think they're going to, you know, call up uh, NBC. I want to work. I need a job. And, the, you know, you're hired, you know, but but it just doesn't happen that way anymore. But in any case, so let's so you had other you had a couple other things. So so um, like you had mentioned, you know, David Hasselhoff. And it's funny, Harry Anderson. Um, I'm actually a magician. So when you meant, you know, oh. I, yeah, I went to went to magic camp when I was little. So I guess even on the tours, I was probably doing magic for the little oh, kids cool. on, the, on the thing. But yeah, tell me about like David Hasselhoff, Harry Anderson, Michael J. Fox that you'd work with. David Hasselhoff was really a sweet guy. Uh, and his his managers loved him. I can't think of their names, but they were like a husband and wife team. This is Circle again, Circa 84, 85. And I don't know what was going on, but I we picked him up in the limo run. Because, you know, pages go, sometimes we're assigned to limo runs. They were assigned to go with the limo and the limousine driver to pick up the star to take him either from the studio to the airport or wherever. And so, so we, we didn't have that. So that's interesting. So the pages literally got into a limo to go pick up a star. So you're in the were, car yes. going like, I'm going to go meet David Hasselhoff, you know? Wow. Correct. Wow. Yes. And the, the limo driver, they'd have the limo driver and Eva Hawkins or my page supervisor, whoever would say, okay, Herbie, you're, you're supposed to meet the limo driver. The limo driver will be here at, 8 30 a.m or pick you up at your house and then you'll go and pick up david hasselhoff at the airport and then take him home i mean so i don't we needed to they needed someone from nbc a network representative to be in that car to greet david hasselhoff and the pages were that guy were that person so david was great and i just remember we were all in the uh, back seat or no i was in the front seat with the limo driver and david was in the back seat with his his married managers and there were these kids in a, a vehicle behind us. And I just remember thinking or hearing the, the manager say to David, boy, David, if only if those kids only knew who was in the limo ahead of them, you know, because uh-huh. Knight Rider was a big, big kids show at oh, the yeah. time. Um, Michael J. Fox, he was great. This was like right at the peak, right before he was 
uh, hit it big at, at Back to the Future. As a matter of fact, I was the page assigned to pick him up with the limo driver on the set of Family Ties to take him to the airport to begin to go to his first location shoot for Back to the Future. Wow. And uh, so it was, it was uh, really, really cool. And his, his manager's name was Nancy, and she had just recently passed away. They had remained close for a long, long time. And she was great. She was hip. And I just remember joking with Michael about how um, how we did a lot for shark people. I was joking with him. <laughs> That's funny. You know, and we laughed about that. And he was great. And I and I oh. said, you know what? You stole my J, man. You're Michael J. Oh, Fox. Right. I'm Herb J. Plato. And he's like, oh, sorry, man. Sorry. And <laughs> he actually got the J from Michael J. Pollard, who was an actor that he respected and loved. So he never was Michael Fox, or he never was Michael J. Fox. He just took that J from Michael J. Pollard and not Herbert J. Pilato. Right. Um, but I do remember also getting ready because we stopped for lunch or something. And I was taking the money out of my wallet that NBC gave me to pay for that lunch. And Michael was like, don't you dare. Don't you dare pay for this. I said, no, 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 no. It's NBC money, you know. So he wasn't going to allow me to pay for that lunch, wow. you know, and I remember that distinctly. So he was a super, still is, obviously, yeah. a superhuman being. Um, Night Court, Harry Anderson, man, I don't, I don't think I made him too happy. And it was, <laughs> we, we got to the airport. It was the day of floppy disks. Yeah. And I said, let me take your luggage, Mr. Anderson, and I'll put it through the security thingy you know he goes no no don't and it was too late and apparently when you put those floppy disks through the security whatever electricals it erases all the information that were on those disks and i'm like oh god i'm so sorry and he was not mad he didn't yell because it's it's okay it's okay Wow. But but years or a couple months later, I saw him and Michael J. Fox at some function and I saw them talking and they were looking over at me and I'm like, oh, no. So Harry's probably saying, you see that page over there? Wow. He really mucked up my my uh, my floppy disks. And I just pictured Michael saying, no, that's Herbie J. He, he's he's really cool. He does a lot for yeah. short people, you know, yeah. and it was just. But of course, that conversation never took place. Right. But in my paranoia, I thought that maybe that's what he thought. But overall, limo running with the stars was terrific. Just wow. terrific. It was funny. I'm just going um, to... Am two... I talking too much, David? No, no, no. This is great. <laughs> the, 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 I'm going to put in two, two inspirational stories for, for, for both those guys, um, for those that want to get into the industry. So when David Hasselhoff was on Baywatch... Mm. Um, that was on NBC and it was canceled. Yes. And he wanted to get it into syndication. So I, so the story goes, I heard him tell the story once. Um, there's a convention that I, that I've been going to for 30 years that it just was canceled actually, or they just went bankrupt last year, but called NATBE, which is the National Association of Television Programming Executives. And it happens, it used to be in Vegas. Then it was, it was in Florida and at the uh, Fountain Blue Hotel. Um, but it's all the buyers and sellers of content. So the story goes that David Hasselhoff went to, they had a booth, which I've had a booth myself when I was pitching some of my shows, but David 
literally went to like all these local stations and said, if you buy, you know, air Baywatch, I will physically come to your local station and do a meet and greet mm -hmm. in your market. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just think about, and then Baywatch went, went on to be like the most watched show in the history Ever. of the world, you know? So here it is a guy, you know, put in that time went there literally you know was 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 you know uh, shaking hands with every local station and said, i'll come to your local market you know iowa and texas you know wherever it was um and then the rest is history so again definitely did not come easy for him so he you know really worked hard for that and then even michael j fox which many folks know that he wasn't the actual original uh, cast in that movie, uh, it was somebody else. They had shot, you know, um, uh, a couple of scenes already, wasn't working out. He couldn't, um, they didn't want to release him from family ties. So they, you know, when they nixed the first actor, um, they, you know, went to Michael J. Fox said, or, or you know, his people and said, um, as long as family ties comes first, you know, you could go shoot that little, that little movie, you know, you're gonna do. And I think, you know, Michael J. Fox would like shoot during the day, get on a plane, fly to wherever it was, shoot, you know. Um, uh, well, I believe, yeah, I believe David, David Gary Gold or Gary David Goldberg, who is the producer and creator mm. of Family Ties, was good friends with Steven Spielberg. Mm, okay. So I think that probably helped things along, too. Right. Um, but what's interesting about Michael you know, and the other own minor similarity between us is he too was considered too cocky. Um, Brandon Tartikoff thought, well, no, he's too cocky for family ties. We don't want him on the show. But whoever it was that convinced Brandon Tartikoff otherwise, uh, obviously, you know, they, they got through. So there you go. Cockiness, again, you know, conquers all, you know, it's, it's no time for timid. You have to right. be, you be nice. You be kind, but you're, we're here to make a mark right. in the world, you yeah. know, and I it's totally really all about balance. And it's funny because, again, even for me, I mean, I, I was kind of shy when I grew up. And then when I went to NBC, you know, I was a little bit shy, but then I, you know, I, I and again, some may, some may say I'm cocky, you know, but it was so it was so funny because even so ironic, like last week I wound up going with someone to one of our local stations in New York and um, one of the talent, we went into the studio because he was showing me the new studio and one of the on-air talent was sitting in the studio. And it was so funny because I literally just walked up to him and it was like, Hey, let me ask you. And I started talking to him and he's like, who the hell are you? What are you talking And it was like funny because I guess in like in my old age or just being in the business, I didn't even hesitate for a minute to walk over to this on-air talent who's been on in the air in New York for a thousand years. And I just started having a conversation with him and he, he actually got a kick out of it because he's like, who the hell are you? What, who, what are you asking me? But I think that's what it takes is that, you know, especially, um, uh, and it was funny. I, somebody said, maybe I went to Emerson college. Uh, maybe they, uh, maybe I, I almost learned, went there. Oh yeah. Emerson was a great, you know, was fantastic. Tons of folks. And I think they, I don't know if it was, they said it, but it was like, you know, treat a celebrity like a regular person and treat a regular person like a celebrity. Mm. And it, you know, so all these famous folks that I was meeting, I just treated them like a normal person. And I think they probably, 
believe it or not, respected that or just enjoyed it because they didn't have to, you know, oh, can I get your autograph? And, you know, it was like, oh, you know, they, they get it, you know, it's exhausting after a while. Um, so it's nice to sort of just, you know, like, okay, you're cool. We'll, 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 we'll hang with you, you know, kind of thing. Um, 100% absolutely correct. And I carried that through that philosophy after I left NBC. It was, I mean, when I met Elizabeth Montgomery and, you know, I ended up doing the Bewitched Book or whatnot. That's, I, I never asked her to twitch her nose. I never asked for a picture. I never asked for an autograph. Today, yeah, you do that today because of social media. Then it was not a cool thing. And, and she respected me because I respected her as a person. So yes, I learned that at NBC. I still get excited. You know, this whole thing about don't lose the excitement. Are you kidding me? I still get excited when I meet stars. or that's, that's, that's what it's all about. I think it's a wonderful thing. But I don't, you know, freak out. Right. You know, I just, I, I'm cool. Cool about it. Be cool about it. Yeah. And when those celebrities feel that, that kind of coolness, because you know what? There's also a lot of celebrities that get excited about meeting celebrities. Mary right. Tyler Moore got excited about meeting Robert Redford when he directed her in Ordinary People. It's all about, again, balance. No, and, and again, you know, um, if I come to L.A. or you come to New York, let's go grab a drink because literally um, um, the uh, what was you? It was something you just touched on. Um, uh, it's funny. There's so many things that we were just talking about. And I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to touch on it. Um, Treating uh, people like. Uh, people's... What the hell did you say? Oh, golly. Uh, I'll I'll remember it. Uh, okay. I'll remember it. It was, it was something you said that was so that was so spot on, um, and I forgot it. But <laughs> you know, but in any case, so you you did mention, um, so you did mention uh, Elizabeth Mon Montgomery, yeah. and so you and it seems so you've gotten into quite a few like retro or classic television books. Yeah, is that, is that safe to say? Yeah. So, and, yeah. So explain that to me. And, and have you, did you meet a lot of these folks to write these books or what were the books about? Well, it really, it, it all goes back to NBC because <clears throat> I'd always loved Bewitched as a kid, hmm. you know, growing up in the inner city of Rochester, my parents didn't have a lot of money. So the entertainment industry was escapism like it was for a lot of people in the sixties and the seventies. Okay. I mean, that's why all those uh, supernatural shows or the fantasy shows or the sci-fi shows like NBC Star Trek were, you know, the thing because we were clinging to the escapism to get away from the Vietnam War, you know, the civil, the race riots and all that other stuff that was going on, the assassinations, I mean, of, you know, Martin Luther King and President Kennedy. So we were all looking for escape and I certainly was. And then when I got the job at NBC, you know, all these years later, and I became interested in and the behind the scenes stuff, uh, more so because I wanted to have a to be a star. I mean, who didn't want to be a star? I wanted to have my own sitcom. But the NBC job really introduced me to the behind the scenes stuff. So when the show was or when the job was over, um, towards the end, NBC was doing a movie called I Dream of Jeannie 15 years later, which was a reunion movie of that show that was on NBC in the 60s. And it upset me. I'm like, wait a minute. If anybody's going to do a reunion movie about a, a hot supernatural blonde woman in, in love with a dark haired mortal guy. It better be Bewitched because <laughs> Jeannie was kind of like a takeoff on Bewitched and mm. that's just the way it is. 
-hmm. It was NBC's answer to ABC's Bewitched. Mm -hmm. So um, I saw this movie on NBC. It was shortly after, I mean, I was, I worked with publicity for it actually. Got to meet Barbara Eden and Wayne Rogers who took over for Larry Hagman as Major Nelson, which was uh, not such a good choice, but Larry didn't want to do it because he was busy with Dallas. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I worked the publicity for that. And then at, when it aired, I had been by then left NBC and I had broken my toe and I'm watching the reunion. And I wrote a reunion about Bewitched because of that. And I started watching the original show and uh, Bewitched on in reruns. And I saw it from adult eyes. I wrote the reunion. Elizabeth Montgomery didn't want to do a reunion. I asked, how, how about we do a book about the original show? Because NBC had wanted her to do, um, they had asked her before to do a reunion of Bewitched. And she said no. Um, so she was done with doing that kind of thing, but not a book. And that's how it happened. And then I became an author because wow. I got tired of worrying about my looks all the time as an actor, which is what mm. you got to do. Right. You know, you always have to you know make sure you you walk into a room and you see 10 Herbie J's who all look like you. And mm. I wanted I enjoyed the, the writing because I don't have to worry about that kind of thing. You know, you could you could type in your underwear or whatever you wanted to do. You know, it didn't have to worry. You don't have to worry about the clothes. So that's how it, all, it came really to NBC wrote or did the Edgy Magini movie. And I was inspired to write Bewitched. Elizabeth didn't want to do the, the TV movie. So we ended up doing the book. And then I became an author. Wow. And, and again, I'm just going to throw in another sort of thing. Like, you know, for those listening, you know, just because one door closes doesn't mean another one can't open and and literally it's i could give you a hundred examples like when someone says no to me oh. i just say okay great and i'm gonna do it this way oh, so yeah, so i just switching gears so here it is you could have given up but you just said well what about a book so i think that also is important for you know for anyone younger or, or older that's listening you know just because that particular, for the, you know, it could even be a group of folks that turn you down. Those aren't the only group of folks that exist. You know, there's another group of folks or there's other ideas. So the fact that you were able to just pivot and then do the book and then oh. become a writer to do more books, again, is a great story because you didn't let somebody else dictate what your life was going to look like. Oh, and I never had, David, even, even to NBC paging. When people said, and I was applying early on before I met that page, you're never going to be an NBC page. It's never going to happen, Herb. It's never going to happen. They even told me that when I would leave Rochester, you're never going to leave Rochester. You're never going to get to California. You're never going to UCLA. You're never going to work for NBC. You're never going to work for, M or you're never going to meet Elizabeth Montgomery. You're never going to, I heard it all. Even when I um, got the book done in proposal form and then in completion, I received about a hundred rejections, easy, right. easy. And I kept going. It was, the book was purchased and then my editor got fired and the book was canceled. Mm. I had to sell the book again, another 50 rejections. Mm. And then it was purchased by another publisher and the editor, something happened where he quit. And when you don't have the editor at the publishing house who supported you, then you don't have the project. And the book was canceled again. And I did it, this is three times. So rejection is part of the game. Right. The way I feel is this. 
If you've got a good project, if you've got a good idea, especially if it's going to bring a little joy to the world, bring a little happiness, that is a whisper from the universe that you've got to fulfill that dream. You've got to fulfill that wish no matter what. And I, I love it when people reject it because I'm like, okay, fine. This means that it's going to happen eventually. Right. No, it's great. I mean, it's so funny because, and again, I, I don't know what, I don't know what, you know, like we're, we're, like I said, we're very similar because I don't know, I don't know where I get it from, but anytime somebody says it can't be done, I don't even, it's not even a consideration. It's just like, okay, great. <laughs> like I'll, I'll call you next week when it's done, you know? Um, so it really, and it's true. I really believe that it's persistence, um, it just persistence and just, you know, never giving up to, 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 until you hit that goal. So it's like anybody that wants to do anything and most people, you know, when you tell people, I have a great idea for something, you know, everybody has great ideas, but it's those that physically follow it through and finish that project. It's very, there's not a lot of people that do that. And that's yeah. the difference between, or, and it's funny, even for on SNL with, with a lot of the um, comedians or the, or the, or the town on the air. And I listen to fly in the wall all the time. Um, you know, listening to their stories where they went for an audition and it didn't go very well. Matter of fact, Keenan uh, Thompson was on, uh, I just listened to it recently, but he said that he he had to do a stand-up, you know, for his audition, but he wasn't a stand-up comedian. So he's like, it was horrible. So I went up and it was horrible, but I just did because they, and it's funny, he did it just because that was what the task was. And yeah. I think you and me, you know, like, I would probably say, well, I'm not a stand-up. Can I do this? But yeah. we know when you're 20 years old, you just, I'm like, okay, I, this is what I do. I don't, you know, you, you can't really talk back or, 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 you know, change anything. So luckily he had a second audition where he was able to, you know, act in a skit or a sketch as one Michaels likes to call it, uh, not a skit, a sketch. He's very, <laughs> very, very uh, persistent, very um, uh, specific with that. When we were pages, we actually got in trouble. Funny story: we we got in trouble because if we well, if we referred it to it as a skit, it 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 he he got really pissed off. So he made it very clear that we that if we you know either we call it a sketch or you know he's gonna cut our balls off. You know it was it was it was yeah. So like to this day, it's you know. But in any case, it is amazing that you did that. So you did that book. And then once you so so that book you finished, got it done, and then and then you said, Well, oh, let me let me do some more books or, or well, that... I did, yeah. I did the Bewitched book. I came out in ninety-two. And then um I did um a reboot of that book called Bewitched Forever in nineteen ninety-five. Elizabeth Montgomery had died. My dad had just died around the same time. So I, I thought it was time to revise that book. And then I wanted to continue the whole TV tome thing, companion thing. And I did a book on Kung Fu called the Kung Fu Book of Cain, which was followed by the Kung Fu Book of Wisdom. And then I did the Bionic book and then the Life Goes On book. And they all had a theme of prejudice. To me, Bewitched was about two different people who loved each other no matter how different they were. Samantha was a witch, Darren was a mortal. Uh, Kane on Kung Fu was an Asian in a Western world. Uh, Steve and Jamie, $6 million man, Binic Woman, they were um, 
a half man, half woman, half machine in a where they felt like freaks. Mm. You know, that was really the core message uh, prejudice of the, the bionic shows really before Marvel brought it out into the mainstream with with all their superheroes feeling different or whatnot. A uh, six million dollar man and bionic woman did it first. And the bionic woman in the last season switched to NBC by the way. So that was kind of different. It was an ABC show. Both Six Mill and Bionic Woman were produced by Universal, which of course is connected to NBC now. And they were slightly then. And ABC had at one point Wonder Woman on and Bionic Woman. And they didn't, they had these two super women and they didn't know what to do with them in the, the last seasons of the show. So they canceled them both. Wonder Woman went to CBS and Bionic Woman went to NBC. Oh, that's so, yeah. So, I don't even recall that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was, you know, became this, this, uh, I, I didn't want to do trivia books, though. Mm. I didn't want them to be just trivia books. I wanted to explore what these shows meant in society and, and, and you know, why people love these shows. And the theme of prejudice was just something that was a running theme through all of the shows that I happened to write books on. And then I formed the Classic TV Preservation Society, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to the positive influence of classic TV shows. Mm. I have classic TV and self-esteem seminars that I take to schools and colleges and community centers and business centers and senior centers. I think I started doing documentaries on, on classic TV shows. I just finished one with AMS Pictures for the Reels channel, and it streamed briefly, I believe, on the Peacock Network, NBC streaming Peacock Network, uh, was called Elizabeth Montgomery, A Bewitched Life, which was a lifelong dream that I wanted to do for 30 years as well. And I didn't give up on that either. So. Well, no, that's and and in the for the um, uh, Bionic book, the Bionic books, did you we were able to interview either character? Absolutely. I interviewed uh, Lee Majors and Lindsay Wagner, uh, Richard Anderson, who oh, played wow. Oscar Goldman, yeah. wrote the foreword. And oh, Richard wow. Anderson was really interesting because he played when Jamie and the Bionic Woman went to NBC. He became the first actor to play the same character on two different shows that were on two different networks. That was like pretty wild. Oh, wow. And then for a while there, Um, NBC was doing the reunion movies for the Bionic shows in the 80s. And I ended up going on the set of the final one, which was Bionic Ever After, that they did in 1984. I do remember that. (laughs) I I could not forget it. (laughs) I flew. It was done in Charleston, South Carolina. And that's where I met uh, Lee and Lindsay and Richard in person. Wow. It's so amazing. And those shows, you know... and I don't know, you know, if we if I'm just getting old or whatever, but you know, when you watch the Six Million Dollar Man or the Bionic Woman, um, those shows are they're so good. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Like I'm trying to figure out were they were they am I just nostalgic about them or were they really good? And I I we could watch. It's funny we we have a, an AMC um, um, you know Stubbs member whatever it is you know so we see every movie that comes out. And we go to some movies and we're sitting there for an hour and 50 minutes, whatever it is. And it's like, some of these movies are just horrible. I mean, they're just, there's no story. There's no nothing. It's, it's awful. 
And then we flick, you know, put on the six million dollar man, and we like we're like we're like wow, yeah. this it's like an hour of just it's a it's a good it's a good story. It's interesting. They have you know the facts were great. For there's the there's, there's a big there's a beginning, middle, and, and end. an end exactly. There's yeah. no arcs, and right. you know, and I love today. You know, there's a lot of great talent uh, behind and in front of the cameras today. There's a lot of genius talent, but there's a I think in my personal opinion now. There's a severe lack of charm in the new shows today. And Six Million Dollar Man and the older shows in Bionicle Men, they had charm. I was privileged enough recently to do the uh, help to help work on the Blu-ray release of the Six oh, wow. Million Dollar Man and the Bionicle Men. I did commentary on it. And the prints are gorgeous. And they, by the way, the Blu-ray was produced by a Justin Beam, genius, Justin Beam, and Reverend Entertainment. And Shout Factory TV, and they contacted me to help them with that. So that was wonderful. But there was a charm to those shows. If you're, like you said, if you're flipping through the channels, and all you're seeing is dark and edgy, dark and edgy, dark and edgy, dark and edgy, you can't understand what the actors are saying. You can't see what the the the, the shows. Everything is lit so dark, and then you stop and on that girl, mm-hmm. you know, this bright colored show. Or Wonder Woman. It's like you stop because it looks different. Right. And you can hear them. And you know, it's not a never-ending story. And and not all the characters are sardonic like they are today. Or everybody rolls their eyes. Everybody looks constipated. Everybody looks unhappy. There's no charm. And it's funny you mentioned even the shows, you know, we watched um, you know, so some of the things on Netflix, let's we use for an example, you know, the 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 there let's say there are 14 episodes. It's 14 episodes of the same story. Yes. So you literally watch episode one and they inch the, the the story, you know, an inch, and then the next episode they change one little and it it you know and and also you know I edit like physically will edit things, you know, you know, uh, edit shows and things. And I said if I took the four the 14 episodes i could cut it down to a to a movie mm-hmm. and make it a beginning a middle and an end put the story really you know make it tight make it interesting and be done with it in, in a movie you don't need to sit through you know 14 episodes and literally because of that we we really stop watching because because so many of these things they just go on and on and there's no there's really nothing different from each episode to the next that's right you know? that's and right yeah, it's absolutely right. I mean, and I will try to watch the newer shows. I, I mean, I again, because there's talent there, mm-hmm. but I'll either if I'm not getting if I'm unable, if I'm not on, if I'm not able to watch and understand what I'm seeing because it's too dark or the actors are mumbling or the sound effects are not mixed right with the special effects or whatever. It's the commercials that are so overbearing that when they come back to the show from the commercials, I don't know what the hell I'm watching. And then, because I forget, and then by the end of the episode, God forbid, there's a happy ending. You will have characters come in at the end and say, hey, Bobby Sue, it's your birthday. Let's have a party. Great. And everybody has a party. And then in the last three minutes, somebody will run into this scene and say, oh, by the way, your mother died. Right. And that's how it will end. Right. They have to end it on a down note. Right. So it continues somehow to the next episode next i don't know 
Anyway. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, the funny thing is, I wonder if they, if they, if they, the, the the way that they tell these stories are so have gotten so far from what they did back then. It would be interesting if they if they said, let's use that old formula where it just there's a beginning, a middle, and end. It ends happy. You know, maybe people will tune in. I, I don't know. Well, you know, they did that with Mad Men. You know, a few years back, right? Everybody right. was saying it was so innovative and so. In it wasn't innovative. They just started shooting the show like they used to shoot the show, where they put the camera on the actor and let the camera act instead of all the angle thing. Yeah. And they lit it like a, like an old show. And it was written like an old show. And they called it innovative. It was not innovative. They just, the producers realized, why don't we do it like they used to do TV shows? Right. Wow. So <laughs> it's just amazing. It's so fascinating. So, um, Going back to some of the page stuff, because because again, I got a million of these crazy stories. Um, did you did the pages have uh, did you have parties? Oh, God. like, you know, uh, we, we had sort of a rhythm of parties. But but tell me because we did some crazy stuff. So tell me if you had parties or what oh. you guys did on your, on your on the. Not only did we have parties, but I had parties. I, okay. I hosted parties all the time and they were self-absorbed birthday parties but we if it wasn't my party somebody else was having a party or we had go out after work there was dimples across the street i'm sure everybody who worked at nbc burbank remembers dimples dimples, dimples was the first uh karaoke bar in the country wow and we used to, i used to go over there all the time with fellow pages sometimes stars of nbc shows were there i remember one night there was Courtney Cox and Dean Paul Martin from a show called Misfits of Science. Yes, this is I, before Friends. It's funny you say Misfits. I went to Emerson. I swear to God, I said Emersonians. I felt were the misfits of science. It was a bunch of weird freaks. Like everybody was so different, but had these special powers. And I, when I'm going, I'm going walking. I literally, when I went, when I as a freshman, I'm going. It's the misfits of science. But, <laughs> The fact is that everybody was so cre like had their own thing that they yeah. were doing, and they were so passionate doing what they did. That's why there are so many Emersonians that that are in TV and, and film. Um, but yeah, so so you'd go to these parties. Oh, the um, parties were great. The yeah, parties so were terrific. Um, we, as a matter of fact, some of the fellow pages one day were going to throw a surprise party for me. And I didn't know, obviously, it was a surprise party. So I just wanted to stay home and do my laundry. It was my birthday. I didn't want to do it. And everybody kept on calling me. I'm like, no, guys, I just don't want to do it. So I did not go. They oh, actually no. had this party for oh, me, no. and I didn't go. So that was the one party I missed. Oh, my uh, God. But a, a few years back, NBC had a big 70th birthday party for you, the PAGE program. Mm. And it, it was at Universal Studios. And we each got oh. the um, which is the what do you call the pins? Yeah, of each of the different NBC logos. I'm showing them. To oh, you that's awesome! Visually, wow. and then we got like a 70th uh, VHS oh, of of the uh, celebration of the network or whatnot. That was terrific. And here's the oh my god! Back. And it's funny because the well, a couple of things that pin, uh, and I mentioned this in a, in a different podcast when NBC was number one for like 52 weeks or whatever it was, it was some, some stretch. 
Bob Wright gave everybody a, a peacock pin with the number one on it. I it might have had the the weeks on it, and I do still have that somewhere in a box somewhere. Um, but but it is again the logo, even even the logo. Um, you know, in the page lounge, did you have the feed from other? Oh yeah, spots right. We, we could we had the feed. Yeah, from all the different shows that were on the lot, we used to sit down and watch the Days of Our Lives actors rehearse. Right. We'd see the Johnny Carson show rehearse. Um, but what I remember about the Page Lounge, too, is whenever you left, whenever your, your 18 months was up, you would take your name tag off and stick it up in the ceiling. Oh, wow. And so you'd look up and you'd see all these name tags really? of all the former pages. Oh, my God. And, uh, and when I came back to L.A. and like, well, I came back several times. But the last time I made the formal move back here in 2009, I went to uh, the the page. Uh, uh, what did they call them? Not booths. What were they? The. Uh, oh, the information booth or the. No, no. I mean, they. There was a term I can't think of what it was, but where the the guest the guest relations place was, um, and it was just about to be knocked down, because I ended up becoming like the NBC page reunion guy, and then I also did the I was the the, uh, the organizer of the NBC alumni in general. We have a NBC alumni page on Facebook. If you haven't joined already, please come join us. Hmm. Um, okay. Okay. I wonder if that's, I don't know. I'm on one of them, but I'll check. I, 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 okay. Yeah. So I became that reunion guy. Cause I just, you know, that I'm nostalgic that way, but um, yeah. So we had the page thing and uh, where everybody put their name tags in the ceiling and it was just, it was just like the best college year ever. It was really a master class. It was, um, um, you know, the next stage after college, you were, you were, and it was an internship. That's all there's to it. Right. You know, it was your master's degree. You were getting your master's degree in television. Right. And it's funny because that, well, a couple things. One is, um, uh, well, you know, you're thrown into, you're thrown into doing all this stuff and no one really tells you how, which is like the weirdest thing. And then, but somehow you come through it and you gain all this experience. So it's almost like throwing you into the river and you either sink or swim. Um, so it really, it's, it's an amazing thing. Um, and then also uh, now this year, I think, or coming up, it's the 90th anniversary of the pages. Um, so apparently, uh, and again, in one of my groups, there was like, is there going to be a 90th reunion? Mm. So, so maybe look into that because it, it, my understanding is that it's 90 years uh, coming up either this year or next year. Um, and that would be so cool if, if, you know, if, if there was a party. Yeah. Um, we, I got to look into that. I got to look into that. You sure it's 90 or 80? 90. My 90? understanding wow. it's 90. Yeah. It's 90 years. Wow. Um, I'm almost certain. I'm pretty sure it's 90. Yeah. Wow. Um, but, uh, but yeah, with those parties, um, you know, we did, we, we would go out in the city, you know, go to a bar and then we would go back to 30 rock and just walk into security, but we don't, we would take people that we met in the bars 
to 30 Rock. So we'd be we we like, you want to go see Letterman? You want to go <laughs> see the Today Show? So we would we would bring them back to the studio. And again, and I don't know if it's that way now, but we we would you just walk around, or if it was an SNL night, we would um, all the sets would still some of them would be there. They would strike most of them, but you'd see some lingering. Um, so you could you know go in and play on a set, which was uh, you know insane. It was just crazy. So you saw everybody who was anybody then, you know. Of oh your yeah, era. oh yeah. It was it was well. It was so funny. And I I on on the podcast we had Janice Panino, which was the head of our. Um, you know, uh, guest relations, but I started like a week or two before the 15th anniversary show and I wasn't scheduled to work, but I was like, I mean, again, it's like just everything we just spoke about. I'm like, I will do anything, like whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And, and she was like, okay, fine. I'll, you could work. And she put me right in between the two security desks where every single celebrity that filled 8H came through. So every single person that I grew up with, or, you know, I was directing these folks into the elevators. Um, it was, again, it was unbelievable. And then I, um, which I told the story in the, in the other podcast, but I, I wound up after that show going downstairs, putting a suit on. And because I was so nosy, I, I took an elevator underneath 30 rock, which then took me up to the rainbow room to the coat room and I came out in the coat room and the woman thought I was nuts. And I, wa I was nothing for me today. And I walked out and I went to the party, the 15th anniversary party with every celebrity on earth was there. And I'm sitting there, you know, dancing with, <laughs> I mean, just everybody. So it was, it was, again, it's one of those things where in my life, I will never experience that. So I was so grateful to do that stuff. And it was, it was a very... It was a very, it's a very special time. It was a very special time in my life. And, and be, I think it, what adds to it is because you only have those 18 months. Mm -hmm. Now that's what you got. So you're told, right. make the best of it. Right. You know, either again, to either move up or move out or just make for whatever it is. So you, you're living on some kind of um, different level of existence right. in those 18 months. It's right. not reality. It's not everybody else's reality, okay? Right. Just like school, high school and college are not reality, you know? This, it was it was college on steroids with stars. Right, yeah, and if you didn't, and right, every single day, if you didn't use that to your, to your advantage to try to make, because that, again, for those listening, you know, you had 18 months to find a permanent job. If not, they say, thank you for coming. You know, here's some, here's some parting gifts, which, you know, you really, and that was it. So you really had to, you know, network and, 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 and again, I get a kick out of it because again, you know, if people said you were cocky or whatever, you know, it's like, man, I'm here for 18 months. I have to find a job. If I don't <laughs> find a job, I'm, you know, like I'm, you know, that's it. So you're, you're constantly trying to, to meet and network with as many well, folks as well, you can. What was great is that I, if I would have stayed, which they kind of wanted me to do even past the six months, um, I had opportunities to stay within the network to work in programming or, or whatnot. And I opted out because I wanted to be um, an actor and I wanted to be a freelancer. But had I stayed, I think it would have been a pretty cool thing. Who knows? Maybe I would have been running the network. I don't know. 
but it would have it would have been a very cool thing. I I do remember one very funny story where um, I was trying to uh, uh, impress a, a network executive who I thought was Brandon Tartikoff, and I saw who I thought was Brandon Tartikoff walking down the hall, and I just went right up to him, Mr. Tartikoff. I just want you to know, I took his hand. I just want you to know that I and I want to do. I'd love to whatever it is I told him. And a page friend of mine was with me, and he's like, Herb, what was that all about? I go, that was freaking Brandon Tartikoff. He's just, I wanted to make, he goes, Herb, that wasn't Brandon Tartikoff. That was Harvey Levin. Oh, and really? <laughs> Harvey funny. Levin at the time was working, uh, I think, with, oh, God, it was not that lawyer show that he worked on later. Right. He wasn't on the People's Court yet, I don't think yet. But he was doing some other show at NBC. Oh, he was, yeah, I think he was like just a, a, a newscaster or something for NBC, a reporter for NBC. Mm -hmm. But I thought he was Brandon Tartikoff. Wow. So sorry, Harvey. He, by, by the way, he was very nice. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it, I, again, it's so funny because it just, <laughs> you know, wa again, walking those halls and yeah. just, um, uh, you know, that's the thing. You never know who you're going to run into. So you no, could you, you could literally get in the elevator and you're standing next to it could be anyone. Um, and and it's and it's so funny because if, you know, uh, you know, if you're in the elevator with someone, you literally have that. And, and and again, depending on like you wanted to say hello to Brandon, but the the fact is you either say something because that person is going to walk off the elevator. You'll you never don't. see them. Yeah, you'll never see them again. Like you literally, you know, people are walking into the building and, and you, you you never know when, if if that opportunity will ever, you know, happen. It's funny, even Jay Leno, who again went to Emerson, um, I was in Main Hall and and we, we you know we talked about him a lot and I'm, you know you know he's a big emersonian he's he, he's very kind to this to the school but i was in main hall just standing there and he was going in by himself and literally it was like he gets in the elevator and if i i have i have like 4 seconds to make a decision do i run after him or do i let the doors close and sure enough i ran in i ran into the elevator and i was and i was like Hey Jay, how's it going? I went to Emerson. Every we love you at Emerson, and he was again. He was so kind and nice, and you know, oh yeah, 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 you know this and that. So it was like you just have that one split second. Yeah, to you got to make make the best of it. I mean, I was privileged enough to do. Let's see, in the fall of '85, when the the Golden Girls debuted, I was the page assigned to go greet each of the Golden Girls when they were coming into the big NBC press party, you know, NBC has a press party every fall, right. every mid-season. I don't know if they still do, but they did then. And uh, so I was the one that <clears throat> I had to go greet B. Arthur and Rue McClanahan and Betty White and uh, Estelle Getty. And B was totally different than Dorothy, who she played on the Golden Girls. She was not a confident person. I did not sense that. Rue McClanahan, she was a little wild. She was a little bit like Blanche. Uh, Betty White, sweet as pie. Estelle Getty, for some reason, when her assistant introduced me to her, he said, hey, Estelle, doesn't he look like your nephew, Phil? And, and Estelle's like, oh, hi, Phil, how are you? No, 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 Estelle, <laughs> doesn't he look like Phil? That's funny. So uh, flash forward a couple years after I left NBC, I actually started working as an extra 
on the Golden Girls, where I was um, a photographer in one of the episodes where Rue McClanahan's Blanche uh, was sleeping with all the, the guys at the John Shuck episode where he's a transvestite. I don't know. It was a crazy episode. <laughs> okay. And uh, so I worked on, you know, on that set and Estelle Getty completely did not know who I was anymore. B. Arthur reported me because I was chewing gum on the set. Mm. <laughs> she goes, who's, who's that guy chewing the gum? And then I went out into the parking lot and saw that they looked like their cars. Wow. B. Arthur had a big black BMW. Rue McClanahan had a, a beige Mercedes. Betty White had her legendary mint green Seville. Wow. And Estelle Getty had a little Chevette. They looked like their cars. It was wow. hilarious. Wow. It's so, <laughs> again, it's such... Oh, that's what I was going to say. Now that you just... Um, you said you still get excited about, yes. you know, that's what I wanted to comment. This is, this is sort of a perfect uh, segue to wrap things up. You know, I, I've said many times, if I, the day that I don't get excited about bumping into someone or, or like the fact that you're telling me about the cars and me, that I should just give up or I just should get out of the, you know, the business because to this day, I still get excited when I bump into someone or I do something, whatever it is, even though it could be so insignificant, I still get excited. And I think that, you know, if you're, if you're going to get into this business, you know, I think that you should get excited. I mean, even like, again, if, if you walked out and, you know, you weren't you, you'd walk out, you, you wouldn't even notice their cars. You would just go, get, you know, go, yeah. about, go about your business. Yeah. But the fact that these things are so, you're so, tuned into these all these little details and you know that's what makes it makes it exciting and again you know we're only here for a short while and and you know people should really do what they're passionate about you know, absolutely and, you, know. you know i have friends of mine that says oh look there's uh you know i don't know lean majors whoever to go up to I go, I'm going to go up to, don't go up to, don't bother. I go, I'm not going to live like that. I said, if this is, you know, if I have a chance to go up to talk to Lee Majors, I'm going to do it. That's what it's all about. You can't be shy and be nice because people will always remember if you're nice and kind. It's your approach. You can be excited in your heart inside, but you don't want to act like a goof. You know, you want to be respectful. People will respond to whatever industry you're in. People yeah. will respond to your nice, nice, niceness, yeah. <laughs> to your kindness. Be cool, right. you know, go after what you want, but be nice. Because I tell you right now, I have had people that I've worked with, you know, there were actors years ago that I was directing a play. I remember hiring the lesser talented actors who were easier to work with yeah. than the more talented actors who were just arrogant goofs yeah and you people will always choose to work with the nicer guy right yeah and it's so funny this, this, something popped in my head which again is so random but i remember the 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 girl that i was dating at the time loved yanni the greek uh singer he was in the green room with is it linda evans he was yep. dating linda evans okay yeah so here it is i'm uh i was actually working i think i guess i was working as a production associate or something for the for the for WMC at the time so again they're in the green room but my girlfriend had, like loved Yanni 
and we were having some, it was really funny because she was not Greek. Uh, he obviously is Greek. I, I'm not Greek. My girlfriend was Greek. It was a whole issue with the whole separate. Literally, I went in there and I told, I swear to God, I don't know how security didn't carry me away. I told Yanni the whole story with her, how I'm not Greek and with the da, ba, ba, ba. And they both listened to me and they and they were like giving me advice, which was so, you know, crazy. And then literally I had gotten tickets to go see him and he invited me backstage and, you know, we went backstage and I introduced my girlfriend to him and he, they started talking in, in, in Greek, but it was like one of those things where I just, you know, you see him and I was so excited, like it, it, it was such an opportunity to just be excited. And you're like, you see, you know, everything excited me, you know, just and talking to them and get, you know, all that cool stuff. And again, maybe, maybe, like I said, I'm surprised they didn't escort me out, but he was happy to give me, you know, dating advice <laughs> and Linda, because he was, she was not Greek, but we're dating, you know, it's fine, you know, um, but it gets so, wow. <laughs> it's such a crazy, crazy. Oh, well, no, you just, because he saw your heart, you see, and people are people, you know, yeah. people are people, celebrities are just people and they, they want to talk. They want to get along with everybody just like you want to get along with everybody. So it's all in the approach. Yeah, that's great. Wow. Well, this is fantastic. So we'll, we'll wrap it up. So is there anything else that we didn't touch on? Um, it's, it's so amazing. So I guess for you, um, oh, you have your book, which is, yeah. tell us just quickly about your, your book for about the NBC paging. Yes. Yeah. So I have um, retroactive television an in-depth um, perspective on classic TV social circuitry, which is really a combination of everything I've always talked about, that classic TV shows have had a positive influence on, on uh, the society and on the viewers, meaning some people became doctors because of Marcus Welby, some people became attorneys because of Perry Mason, some people learned to communicate families learn to communicate better because of father knows best and yeah. and the facts of life and different strokes and all of those shows so and i am having a uh, book signing actually on thursday may 11th at the burbank barnes and noble which is where my live events in 2015 began which led to my uh short-lived then again with herbie j Pilato classic tv talk show which is still available by the way on amazon prime and Plex TV and uh, Tubi. So if they, okay. So if they, if they, if they can come see you, if they miss uh, your book signing, uh, could they, where could they find that? Oh, that, if, if, yeah, if you're unable if you to make it. the book signing, um, which is Thursday, May 11th at 6 30 PM at the Burnbank Barnes and Noble, you can go to amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com or contact me uh, directly through herbiejpilato.com. I'm all over Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. Okay. And then you also have the the book, which is uh, NBC and Me. Oh, is yes. Correct, right? Okay. Oh, my God. Yeah, tell us about NBC. that. Yes. I mean, I've been telling these NBC stories for 30 years, and I finally put them into a book called NBC and Me, My Life is a Page in a Book. Wow. And it's really just all the all the wonderful stories of working as a page. And it also serves as a guide for anyone who is interested in uh, becoming a page and what it's, what the job is all about, as well as there's a lot of classic TV stories from all the stars of that era. Wow. 
Wow. No, it's great. And again, just, you know, from a young, from, you know, for anyone that's listening, that's, that wants to get into the business or just um, wants to be inspired, I think, you know, reading that book and, and, and just, you know, I think people just have to, you know, know that it's going to be, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a journey, you know, and, and things take time. And, but, but if you're passionate about something and stick with it and, and no matter what it is, whether it's being a page or anything else, just, you know, stick with your passion, follow your dreams. Don't let anybody tell you it can't, you know, it can't be done. Everybody says that. Everybody says, I mean, every, everybody says it can't be done. You're not going to be from Rochester. You're not going to move. Screw you. Like, who are you to tell me that I'm not going to do it? That's right. I mean, like, how are you qualified to make that assessment? They're not. So I think that all the folks that, that have made it or followed their dream, you know, uh, literally just, you know, put blinders on and just followed their dream and just did what they needed to do and, you know, take one step at a time to accomplish that. And then, because again, you know, you know, so many people are miserable in their jobs and they're, they're just. Well, yeah. And those, the people that are miserable, the ones who usually say don't do it because they wanted to do it. Right. And, you know, so they're, you know, they're, they're not encouraging, you know, so you right. can't, you just believe, believe again, that message comes in your head, follow through with it. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, I, this has been fantastic. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to, to just chat. I mean, it's so many, there's so many great stories and I encourage people to pick up all your books and, and follow you, you um, because you have so many cool things to talk about and say, um, which is incredible. So thank you, David. It's a pleasure, total pleasure being here. It was great. That job NBC is a page, man. It was the best job ever. I was one of the happiest time, one of the happiest 18, actually 20, what, 20, 20 months, 22 months of my life. Yeah. I could say the same in, in, in all this, you know, 30 years, uh, that was those 18 months for me, so much happened in that condensed time. Uh, and I have, I don't know, I don't know how I got so many stories and to, in a, in a, you know, I could in the 30 years, I think I have more stories in the year, you know, year and a half than I did, mm -hmm. uh, since. Um, so it's amazing. So I appreciate it. Um, you know, God bless you. Thank you so much. And, God bless um, you, David. We really appreciate it. So, and God bless NBC. Yes, exactly. Okay, bye bye. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to a page in history. A page in history is produced by David Harris Katz Entertainment. For more information on our television shows, syndication, and more, go to dhcats.com. And to listen to more episodes of A Page in History, or if you've been lucky enough to call yourself one of the world-famous NBC pages and would like to appear on the show, go to apageinhistory.tv.